0: Want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. And what's this Facebook post I saw from you the other day with uh, the name situation? Yeah, man. (laughs) Doing
1: Doing real life ministry, people. People can't seem to remember our <laughs> name. I got called CJ, JT, big guy. The only thing I did get called was TJ. Yeah. So
0: yeah, TJ's going to look good on books, but for some reason remembering initials is near impossible. And I
1: don't know. I I thought I I thought I had established a good rapport and relationship with the people, but <laughs> you know, it was it was a few older gentlemen who just didn't quite didn't quite come out right, but that's all right. It, it, I I posted it, I shared that because it was a good reminder for me that I'm not really that important, <laughs> you know. Like church goes on, ministry goes on. Uh, I'm just I'm just another just another name out there. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, speaking of people not remembering one name, uh, I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast or not, but it's commonly uh, known information that Spurgeon knew name and face of all five thousand of uh, the members of his church.
1: Unbelievable. <laughs> hey, but you know what? Chloe's reading. Chloe's reading a um, a biography on Susie, his wife. Wife, yeah. There were multiple times that he walked up to her after preaching services and introduced himself to her as a complete stranger. Wait, what? Can you imagine? What? Yeah, because he was so focused on the gospel ministry that he forgot his wife. Forgot who she was. It didn't go over well, as yeah, you can imagine. But he remembered the other five. But he remembered everybody else, but he wow. he was so locked in, man. He was he was gospel centered. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. It's just like we're that locked in on our podcast. <laughs> <we> yeah. <laughs> so on that note, what are we doing? What where are we at now? Recap us for where we've been and what kind of uh, what kind of episode are we lining up here? Yeah, well,
0: we're transitioning into our new series on anthropology. I think we've laid out maybe three episodes on this. Yeah. Um, yeah. and To be honest, TJ here has done all of the groundwork. Well, I've learned the, if I get the in legs, there and do the yeah.
1: groundwork, I get to I get to kind of dictate the flow. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, exercise a little bit yeah. of yeah. willpower and authority over this thing.
0: No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm I'm definitely playing Robin. On, <laughs> That's nonsense uh, on this, but. Uh, yeah, so we've got a three part series on anthropology. We'll talk about what that means here in a minute. But uh, we're transitioning from our previous uh, series on bibliology and then uh, theology proper. So uh, TJ here, he's, he's going to explain why we're going in this particular order and why we're not just kind of freelancing it and, you know, yeah. just kind of picking up or going where. Uh, I don't know. Wherever we might just think we want to go. Yeah, and that,
1: that's a that's a good point. Um, we get a lot of requests. Hey, you guys should talk about this particular issue, or when are you guys going to address this? And we do those standalone types of episodes. Um, you know, particular you know church history or uh, particular um, conversations dealing with homosexuality, alcohol, drugs. Um, or walking through and exegeting particular passages, those are kind of standalone episodes. But when we're building systematic theology, there's a purpose and a direction that you have to go. And so we began with Bibliology. That's the foundation. That's God's revelation to us. That's how we formulate all of our uh, theology. And then we go to look at who God is. Right? Like theology proper. Uh, when you begin to do theology, you have to start with God. So you've you've established the foundation. You look at Uh, the Bible, then you speak of God himself. Now, there's a little bit of discussion, and there's tons of different nuances to order. Um, We don't, you know, pretend to know everything when it comes to but uh, organizing systematically, but we are intentional about transitioning from theology proper to anthropology, um, as opposed to perhaps moving to Christ or moving uh, in a in a different direction. And I love what Burkhoff has to say about it. You you, you know I love Burkhoff. Classic. Uh, you know Burkhoff. He he just says it so much better than I can. So he he says this. He says the transition from theology proper to anthropology, that is from the study of God to the study of man, is a natural one. Man is not only the crown of creation, but is also the subject of God's special care. And so the doctrine of man must immediately follow the doctrine of God, since the knowledge of this doctrine is presupposed in all of the following doctrines of systematic theology. So in other words, when you consider the person of God, and then you move into the work of God, right, like the creation, we we spent an episode talking about creation, and who God is and what he has done, well, it naturally follows that the crown of his creation, the, the subject of his decrees, as we consider his work, is man. And so that naturally follows. Um, that transition um, it naturally occurs. We have to understand who man is um, before we can consider Christ, who becomes the mediator between God and man.
0: Right. right? Yeah. And l- let me uh, real quick make a plug for the podcast in terms of going back mm-hmm. and starting with our theology, or the Bibliology series, and then the Theology Proper series. Um, e- even if you don't go back and listen to the standalone episodes, go back and listen to these, so you can continuously yeah. follow as we are essentially building a systematic theology over the coming months. Yeah, I, um, I would
1: compare it to, I would compare it to something like watching a uh, Seinfeld or The Office right you can watch individual episodes and still find them funny but there's a storyline there's a development that comes that if you watch uh, episode after episode in order, you go, huh, I understand. There's a little subtlety here. There's nuances. It's the same thing with this. We have intentionality about the order. And as you build systematic theology, you're building on what you've previously established. And so um, so, so, what are we going to talk about when we consider anthropology, the doctrine of man? Um, that's a broad topic, Um but how do we kind of narrow that down? How are we going to organize the conversation?
0: Okay, we've got three episodes. All right, this episode is going to be dedicated to basically looking at an overview. Okay, we want to look at an overview of the Doctrine of Man. We want to lay out really the framework and the foundation of this doctrine. Um, and then we'll move into next episode talking about the image of God, man being created in God's image. Yeah. I think it's worth setting aside an entire episode uh, to touch on that. So we're not going to really get into that today, uh, but we will next time. And then thirdly, episode three, uh, we're going to talk about the depravity of man. Okay. So the critical, like you, you you can't skip over that. Right.
1: When you're talking about that, it made me think of our, one of our early episodes of, you know, what we talked about, what is theology, but we had that episode, what is the gospel? And you said, you can't, have the gospel without systematic theology and that's kind of what we're doing here we've looked at who God is and we talked about his holiness and how distinct he is and then we want to look at, at man and before we can bring Christ into the picture we have to understand the state that man is in now right like if we only talk about creation and man in the garden and the image of God in man in this state of perfection we don't have room for a mediator justification that comes um, fallen, like we have to have that fall, right? And so we have to understand man in his state that we find ourselves in now. Right. So we have to build that. We look at the overview, we talk about the image of God, and then we look at man in his fallen state, uh, which will naturally transition us into looking at sin and then the one who comes to remove that sin, right? So we're just moving through that biblical gospel narrative and making our way through that um, conversation.
0: um, Yeah, that's good. I I think, too— and we've done this often and we'll continue to do this, we're taking the same approach uh, to this category of systematic theology as we did in the previous two. It's the same hermeneutic, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're not uh, trying to impose anything on the text. We let the text speak about God. Now we want the text to speak about man. That's Yeah, right?
1: that's, a, that's a good word. And, of course, we're building on what has been previously established, yeah. right? Like we are assuming, like you mentioned, go back and listen, we're assuming that the Bible is an errant because we've already made that, that we've already built that pillar, right? That we're built on. And we've built, we've laid God as the foundation. We know who God is and based on who God is and what he has done, we can now build our doctrine of man, as you mentioned with the same hermeneutic um, and and based on scripture. Um, So let let me ask this question of all the, the topics in scripture. Why do we want to actually do a series on anthropology? Like, like, you and I know this because we've read through systematics. We know that systematicians in general tend to devote chapters or sections on man. But why Why do this? Why do we want to spend time discussing this doctrine?
0: Well, it takes us back to the early chapters of Genesis. Who would have thought, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, well, you get to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, um, and, and so forth. Man is introduced in the first chapter of the Bible, mm-hmm. right? So clearly, we, we God is a, the key and the central figure of Scripture, Christ and the Spirit as well, the Trinity, the true mind God. Uh, but below that, we see the creation of mankind through Adam and Eve. Um, so really from... Genesis 1, first page of Scripture, all the way to Revelation chapter 22. In in, in the middle of this story, in the middle of this revelation, is mankind. Mm. So we have to deal with it, Yeah, right? Um, what do you want to add to that? Well,
1: yeah, I mean, I would echo everything you just said. The Bible says so much about man. Um, in In the introduction to his Institutes, I don't have it written here, but Calvin begins with a statement that says, essentially what we, it's a difficult task to consider first looking at God or first looking at man, because in order to understand God, you have to know what he has created. But in order to understand um, what he has created, you have to know who created him. And that as we come to a knowledge of man, we get to, because we're made in his image, we get to an understanding of who God is. Yeah. And that now he starts with God as we, as we did as well, because that's where the source comes from. But, but the question is so that he sees the connection between the two, that in order to really understand um, what God has done and who he is, as you mentioned, Genesis chapter one, God created man. And so we want to pay attention to what God has done uh, in order to worship him. And then, of course, we have a lot of self-interest here, right? <laughs> like like of all the doctrines, this is this, we, we are interested in what the Bible has to say about us because we need to know we have some stake in the game. Right, like we want to know who we are. Um, This is uh, understanding our identity. Where did we come from? Um, What is our purpose? Um, What is our? What's the end game? Right, like and and how do we get from where we are now to where we're ultimately going? All these things are related to the doctrines of anthropology. Absolutely. Um, Yep. And then the other thing I would add, and I, I want your input on this, is anthropology, doctrine of man, is intricately related to other doctrines. Um, in systematic theology, of course, all doctrine, all of systematic theology is connected. Um, but how how do you see the doctrine of man played out in other doctrines in systematic?
0: Yeah, well, through man, uh, sin enters the world, yep. which in fact, uh, indeed, is um, that that necessitates a savior of sin. Um, Jesus Christ came into this world as the God-Man, mm-hmm. right? The second person of the Trinity. Um, dying on a cross, salvation for sins, uh, to redeem sinful humanity. Um, you see God uh, creating man in his image, right? God creating mankind um, is an expression of his glory, right? Um, all of these things, like you said, are necessary to understand so that mankind, you and I, listeners, can understand reality. Yeah. Right. If we miss this, we miss major components of the gospel, and if we miss this,
1: we really have obscured and clouded uh, reality. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would even add also the doctrine of like the doctrine of the church. Yep. You know, you can't have can't have church without without humanity, without people, um, and of course we can get into the you, you, you touch. Um, briefly on this, but you could get into. There's no doctrine of salvation. There's no atonement. There's no justification. There's no sanctification. Um, there's no indwelling of the Spirit. There's no unity um, in Christ. There's all of these doctrines that are going to that are so richly developed in Scripture um, are absent if we don't have a doctrine yeah. of man first established, or certainly impacted dramatically. Yeah. Right. So,
0: I think. Uh I think we agree on the necessity of this doctrine, right? Yeah. Yeah, you, you got to have it. Yeah. Okay, um, I'm going to give you like one minute to answer these questions, okay? A one piece minute. or total? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> We're going to see how this goes. Um, so, so real quick, uh, fill us in on how Adam was created and how Eve was created. We would argue that the first two people of the human race created by God uh, run us through that real quick, Genesis 1 and 2. Well, um, yeah, you
1: stole my thunder there. I was going to say back in Genesis chapter 1, oh, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> because it's
0: necessary that they um, were created by God, um, that God orchestrated uh, humanity because that, that factors in and connects into other doctrines yeah. and categories. So, Absolutely.
1: Adam and Eve. Yeah, Adam and Eve, direct from the hand of God. Yeah. Um, They were created on day six, the crown jewel of creation, as we've established. And we've looked at that um, in our episode on creation. Uh, But in Genesis chapter two, verse seven says this, says that then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So God literally breathes into dust and man is formed and becomes a a living creature and then it goes on the genesis 2 goes on to say that um it's not good for man to be alone and he the man gives names to all the livestock and every beast of the field but there was no suitable suitable helper found for him and so while he slept um verse 21 god took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So Adam comes from the dust. the God breathes life into him. Eve comes from Adam himself, and God forms her into his helpmate, his partner, and she is also made in the image of God. So Adam and Eve are um, placed in the garden um, there, in order to worship God and to accomplish the purpose for which He set him out for. Right. Him.
0: Yeah. And Genesis two that you are reading from is basically a commentary on Genesis one. Where yes. in Genesis 1, 27 and twenty eight. Yes. Um, or one twenty six and twenty seven rather. Uh, God said, "Let us make man in our image." Right. Verse twenty seven. Um, he created them, male and female.
1: And what does he mean by image? Stay tuned yes. next week, right? Like that, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that because we can't, we don't want to get bogged down in yeah. that and not get to some of the other um, issues that are related there. So, yeah, that's um, good. Okay, we, we we you and I both affirm we believe um, what Genesis one and two say um, that this was the the race was created by God Himself um, personally that it was uh, directly by God. Um, in other words, here's the question. How does evolution play into this? What, what do we do with the evolutionary theory, those types of things?
0: Yeah, I can answer that in under one minute. Yeah, it, do do- it doesn't play into okay. it at all. It just doesn't. It, again, like we've said in previous episodes, there's no compatibility. It doesn't harmonize, um, not only with the Genesis account, uh, of creation chapters one and two, but even in this doctrine, uh, the, I mean, <laughs> I don't really have any other way to say that except for evolution does not factor into this. Um, and again, that trickles down into uh, the humanity of Christ. Are we mm-hmm. saying that Jesus Christ essentially evolved? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, yep. you've got major problems. Anything to add to that? Uh, do I get a full minute or just the rest of the Dude, minute you got got started? Minute. You got a minute.
1: Um, no, I, we we have we've adequately, I believe, adequately addressed this. Um, had a mini episode on evolutionary theory and and can I believe that and also um, be a Christian? We've we've discussed the different views of creationism um, or creation itself and how that occurred and and yeah, there's no first of all, there's no need to bring science into the text. Um, the text does not demand that. But second of all. The science is incompatible um, with the text, and our authority is scripture. So, we would say evolutionary theory that man evolved out of all of these other species is contrary not only to reason, I would argue, but to revelation. And so, we would reject it, and it does not factor in. Rather, God made man directly. And that's important. That's important. That's good. For a number of reasons, but it's certainly important when we talk about the purpose of man. You know, this is not an accident. This is not, uh, man did not come from from some other species. This was direct from God. And so God has a purpose for them.
0: Yeah, here, here here's what R.L. Dabney, here's what he says on rejecting the origin of man. He says, The integrity of the Bible as the word of God is fatally affected. For the unity of the race is implied in all its system, and the whole account of God's dealings with it in all its history, and asserted in expressed terms. He goes on to say, unity of race is necessary to relation to the Redeemer. Mm. Right? Yeah. So the origin of man is critical because that relates directly to Jesus Christ later on in the narrative of Scripture.
1: So would you say then... And I I know your answer, but I'm going to make you say it. Would you say then that based on what you just read and based on what we read in Genesis 1 and 2 and our understanding of humanity, that Adam and Eve were literal, real, true human beings as opposed to um, a parable or a type that suggests, hey, this is what humanity is like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the Bible clearly teaches they're literal human beings. But wait
1: a second. Wait a second. The word... Adam, that's just the Hebrew word Adam. It means man. Yeah. Just general. That's not a name. Right. Lance, that's not a name.
0: Well. That's a word. Yeah.
1: We, we transliterated it into now nah, I'm being you're the Hebrew
0: scholar or the Hebraist, right? Over there. <laughs> yeah. Um
1: I know that. I know Adam means
0: man. Yeah. So so Well that that's not how the rest of scripture teaches um, that's exactly. Adam and Eve, yeah, right? that's exactly where we have to go. Yeah, and, and and probably the the most popular and I don't know widely read epistle or letter in the New Testament, the book of Romans. You go to Romans chapter five, uh, verses twelve through twenty one, and Paul spends the back half of that chapter comparing Adam and Christ. Adam and Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go on to First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Uh, Jesus there is called the second. Adam. Yeah, that's what I was about. Right. So even even a a title of Jesus in the New Testament is referencing Genesis one, two, and three. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. That's that's you took it exactly where we have to go when you consider the the possibility. And I say this, I said it kind of tongue in cheek. I think many Bible believing Christians. Would say, yeah, I mean, even real. That's I. I grew up with the story in the picture Bible, whatever else. But there are there are critical. um, There's a lot of critical theory out there, and I know good, firm, Bible believing, solid, Reformed, educated Christians who say it doesn't matter. And I just I I have to spar with them on this and say it does matter.
0: Um, well, it mattered to Jesus it, it, because he quotes yes, from Genesis 2. It, it mattered right. to the apostles because they quote from the book of Genesis as well. So if it matters to them, that is good enough for me. Yeah, and, That's and, why it matters. And
1: what you mentioned about the, the connection between Adam and Christ, I mean, that is so important. If, if Jesus is going to be said to be the second Adam, and we are going to say that he is indeed a real true human being, well, then the first Adam, is by necessity a real, true human being. Yeah, and and yeah. so yeah, that's really important for us.
0: Yeah, I, I would add to that. Um, even with Eve, Paul in Second Corinthians chapter eleven verse three, when he's talking about the false apostles that are, you know, essentially slandering his ministry. Um, he says, "But I fear." In chapter eleven, verse three, Second Corinthians. Somehow, as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so he even believed that Eve mm-hmm. was a literal person, and he is using that um, kind of as a backdrop to build the craftiness and the deceitfulness that Satan is using yeah. um, That's as good. a tactic. So, I mean, anyways, you, you
1: mentioned. So, you mentioned First Corinthians fifteen, Romans five. Um, the, these ver, There are verses that Romans 5, 12, just as sin came into the world through one man. That's th- there's a literal man there. Yeah. First uh, Corinthians 15, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. There's a parallelism that connects these two, which suggests that this is a literal, um, these are literal human beings. Acts 17, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. You know, having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Like we've talked, we've walked through Acts 17. Yeah. Um, one man, God took that one couple and every nation throughout all of humanity that has lived on the earth has come from them.
0: Um, yeah, that's good. And you can go to the uh, gospel accounts, uh, Matthew and Luke, and you can look at the genealogies of Jesus. Um, if Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus goes all the way back to Abraham. But if you go to Luke chapter 3 and you look at that genealogy, Jesus's descendant line, or descendants before, or people before him. I don't even, I not even word that right. Uh, his descendants or genealogy? Going. You got yeah, it, yeah, you guys are it. it yeah. Luke 3 goes all the way back to Adam. Yeah, once you get that's to right. Luke 3, um, verses 23 through 38, you get to verse 38, and here we are back at Adam, hmm. right? Showing that Jesus Christ is an actual descendant of Adam and Eve, right? Again, right. that's establishing his literal humanity. Yeah. Well, if you scratch out Adam from the list here, well, we might as well just scratch out right. Jesus.
1: Well, where, that's what happens. If you scratch out Adam, where do you stop? Where do you stop scratching out, and where do you get the origin of man if not for a literal creation? And you know what's funny? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Have- what's funny is I was reading through um, James Pettigrew Boys not to be confused with James Montgomery Boyce, but James P. J. P. Boyce with Y. J.P. Boyce, yeah. B-O-Y-C-E. And he talks about, even in the 19th century, he talks about all of the different scientific realities that actually affirm the origin, a single origin of the human race. He talks about migration patterns, human tradition, language similarities, psychology, yeah. natural sciences. He, point, he says all of these other sciences point to the reality even science will affirm this, in Scripture. Now, of course, we don't need that. Uh, that doesn't... N- but all of the all of the arguments point in that direction and um, we don't have time, of course, to get into unfolding some of the opposition, but suffice to say, we are strongly affirming the literal creation of a literal Adam and a literal Eve who are present physically in the garden. Fair to say? Yeah.
0: Yeah, the point has to be established for starting with uh, our understanding of the doctrine of man, we have to go back to the beginning of mankind. Right. You can't start anywhere else with this. Right, There's only one place to go, Genesis 1 and 2.
1: Yep. And we're going to look at um, just kind of a, another little preview. At the third episode of this series, we will look at their state in the garden, what Adam and Eve were like um, prior to the fall, and then look at the state of man after the fall. Um, but just to kind of continue, overview just looking at man in general, I think this is maybe the most common question or the most um, relatable question. What is, how, how is humanity composed? What are the, the different elements or the composition of human nature? And basically what I'm asking is, uh, would you affirm a trichotomy, dichotomy, or monistic um, understanding of humanity? Let me put even more layman's terms. Do you, how do you believe that man is constituted? Do we have body only? Are we body, soul, and spirit? Are we just body and soul? What makes us up, and how do we navigate that question? Um, In one minute or less. No, that's literally impossible. Yeah, I'm just
0: kidding. (laughs) I mean, I I, I just said earlier that Jesus had descendants like he had kids. (laughs) Yeah, do I need to take this question?
1: Are we... (laughs) Are you, can you be trusted? Uh, yeah, we want to this? reject that idea that <laughs> Jesus was married and had kids. Yeah,
0: you know, uh, but that's in one of like the like uh, like spurious gospels, I mean, like third, fourth me. century stuff right. that Jesus. You know. Had, like, lovers outside of Jerusalem right. oh, yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I had, so a, bizarre. I
1: had a preaching professor in seminary who who compared when you say something you don't mean, he said it's like toothpaste coming out of the box. Like, <laughs> once it's out, you can't put toothpaste back in the tube. You know, it's out there. Uh, so, yeah, you got to try to clean it up the best you can. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Jesus did not have kids. Yeah, so I mean, no descendants. No,
0: no descendants yeah. uh, at all. Okay. Clearly. So
1: go back to human constitution. How are we made up? Um how do we answer that question? What does the Bible say? Body, soul, spirit, mind, all of those things.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we're the Reformed informants. We're looking at systematic theology from a Reformed perspective. So the overwhelming uh, position from the Reformers on, and anybody that really that holds to Reformed th- uh, theology, is dichotomy, right? Um, that man is, is, is two parts, um, but before we get to that, let's talk about the other ones real quick. Okay. Um, trichotomy, okay, that man is body, soul, and spirit. Okay, so three okay? three parts. Yeah. Tri- okay. Yeah, three parts. Now, there are a couple texts uh, that we could go to um, that would seem at first glance to maybe indicate that uh, trichotomy uh, would be the biblical view or the biblical standpoint. Um one of those being 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It mentions spirit, soul, and body mm-hmm. in that same verse. Um, the other one would be Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It talks about um, the word of God is living and active, right? We're familiar with that verse. Mm-hmm. But it talks about piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Okay. So
1: having a distinction, right, between soul and spirit. Those two verses are suggesting that there's body, and then there's soul, but there's also spirit. Right. So that there's three distinct parts. Mm -hmm. Okay. What? Why? Why do we? Those seem pretty clear. Why do we reject that?
0: I I think the idea in those verses is. one, those aren't trying to build a position mm-hmm. of what the human body is uh, constituted of or how it's broken down. That's, that's not even the point of those verses, even in their context. Well, they're in their context, it's talking about getting to the core of man, uh, to the right. core of humanity. Uh, so those words at least soul and spirit there are just used synonymously they're, yeah, they're I mean, used twice or go, go ahead no, no
1: first you were I would say exactly what you said First Thessalonians 5 it's it's a it's the composition, the whole body, soul spirit, ev- everything but it doesn't necessarily mean like you mentioned synonymously it doesn't necessarily mean that there are a, B, and C all three parts are there. it's just comprehensive yeah that's the point and and same thing with Hebrews four. Um, you've got this division of soul and spirit, but it's not separating the two into two entities. It's merely saying that at the utter depths, that's how deep the word of God cuts. Um, Like it's it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's her emphasis. Exactly. Exactly. And then on top of that, you mentioned, I think astutely at the beginning of this episode, that we are using the same hermeneutical principles to fill, to build this, um, this doctrine that we have done with others. And one of those critical hermeneutical tools was the analogy of faith. We interpret Scripture with Scripture. So if I just had 1 Thessalonians 5.23 in front of me, I might be a trichotomist. But that's not the only text that comes to mind. In fact, there are lots more which speak towards other texts, right? So when we get to that position, we'll address that. Let's also talk briefly about the monistic the opposite side, which says there's only one, the, the human body is composed of, or the human uh, humanity is composed of one entity, and that is all together body, soul, spirit. Right. Like, it's all one thing.
0: It's all one, just glob. Right. right, yeah. There's there's, two. there's no, no
1: distinction uh, between the parts of the person, um, right? Yeah, I mean, gosh, that, that, that's a... By the way, that's a rare be, position. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, rare.
0: That has to be in the minority mm-hmm. amongst uh, systematicians. I mean, do you think, is that mentioned in most of the systematic theologies you've looked through or no?
1: Um, not most of them, but it is mentioned kind of um, as a, hey, we need to address okay. why this is
0: inadequate. Um, if you were writing one, would you put that in there? I think I asked you on that uh, general revelation oh, uh, right, with, with, uh, history? with history. Yeah,
1: I, I think I would. I think okay. I would mention the shortcomings of this position, but I would not spend very much time on it. Yeah, I think um, the position's terrible because
0: yeah. <laughs> the verses that are used for it, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, um, I, I think that those can be refuted because uh, both of those verses actually have to, uh, have to do with like uh, e- e- eternal issues. Um, absent from the body, uh, to be at home with the Lord, or I'd rather be away from the body than at home with the Lord. Second um, Corinthians five eight Matthew ten twenty eight. It's Jesus, you know, discussing yep. not to fear men, but to fear God, because God can destroy both. Well, soul and, and the body. Th-
1: the thief on the cross, right? Like, yeah. Like the the Jesus says, you will be with me this day in paradise. Well, where is Jesus going to be in par? Well, if he's in paradise, his body is still on the earth. There has to be a separation of those right. two, right? Yeah. Um, like there's there's a clear distinction in scripture between soul and body. Um, so we would reject the idea that that there is no distinction between those parts, yeah. right?
0: So I don't even know how you would build that, man. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't even. Uh, I I
1: don't either. Um, all right, so this so look kind overwhelming. Yeah, we dichotomy. believe we believe and we follow. Uh, this is the historical position of the church. This is um, certainly the most overwhelming um, view of Scripture. We believe that the hum- humanity is composed of two parts, as material and immaterial, as body and soul slash spirit. Um, but we would emphasize that they, it's materialized as a a united being, like that there's all of man is Composed in this one, this one thing, right? Like my soul is not floating around somewhere else, right? You know. Um, so how do we, how do we build that from Scripture when we look at these two? We, we believe these two substances.
0: Well, let's, let's begin here in Genesis two, all right? Verse seven. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Okay, l- l- let's look at that. Um, no, go ahead. No, We're no, no. no. Okay, so yeah, verse seven again. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, okay, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. All right? There, there are your two parts, mm-hmm. right? Body, dust from the ground, soul slash spirit, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, I do want to throw in here, and I want to get your comments on this as well because maybe you've come across it. There are some that want to advocate that the rest of verse 7— and the man became a living creature. Trichotomy, right there. Mm.
1: I have not come across that. Yeah. Yep. Is that the idea? Maybe that the spirit, um, the spirit is what gives life, and soul has the eternal.
0: Yeah, I. I, I, I think that last part and the man became a living creature. I, the best interpretation of that is that is describing what the free previous part of the verse just said. Yeah. Yeah. You know that's not an additional right. You know, here, here's the and that's third a straightforward
1: reading, yeah. right? Like that's, it's hard to uh, it's hard to read that otherwise. Um, I, I think of other other text. Um, Ecclesiastes twelve seven: the dust returns to the earth as it was, kind of echoing back to Genesis two there. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. So you have a separation. Acts seven fifty nine: the the stoning of Stephen. He cries out, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." Well, body is staying, spirit, or soul, is going up. Um, yeah,
0: Stephen had a pretty good understanding of the Old Testament as well. He sure did. Because all of that chapter That's is right. <laughs> an expository sermon on the Old Testament. That's right.
1: Um, so, we would agree there are definitely two parts. There's, you know, we mentioned the thief on the cross, we've mentioned, um, you know, Jesus talking about... You don't fear the one who can kill the body, but rather fear the one who can kill the soul. So there's distinction there. Um, how do we make the case that soul and spirit are interchangeable or synonymous um, rather than two distinct parts of, of the human person?
0: Yeah, um, Jesus, I, I think— Uses them interchangeably. Which, I thought your answer was just Jesus. Yeah, and Jesus. I, I yes.
1: was gonna say that was inadequate. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Jesus uses them interchangeably. Keep going. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. He, I mean, he does. You just the, the verses that you just referenced, um, talking about God being able and having the capacity to kill the soul. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That would be one example. Jesus in Luke twenty three forty six when. He is giving up his life on the cross. He says, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." Right. Because so, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he's he's not confused, uh, understand the difficulties of the cross, but his, his theology is, and all of a sudden, becoming poor. Um, right. A, a, as he's dying, right. so and uh, he's I think, quoting he's
1: quoting Psalm thirty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got other um, you've got other texts which speak of giving up the spirit as death. Right, like that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned uh, Jesus in Matthew ten um, talking about the one who can destroy the soul. So mm-hmm. again, you have, but you even have Old Testament texts again. Um, Genesis thirty-five verse eighteen, as her soul was departing, for she was dying. So the soul leaving is death, and First King seventeen. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, "O oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again." That's the idea: the the soul mm. come into him again. It's the same word. Um, and then you have spirit in those other places. So you have soul and spirit used interchangeably to describe death. Um, Jesus is speaking uh, in in this way. Um, it's it's the natural reading of the text with so much evidence that points into it. So when you put all of these things together, the weight is much heavier towards the dichotomy position.
0: Yeah, it, it is. I like what you did on our outline here um, because we're looking at verses from Genesis. We're looking at verses from 1 Kings. We're going to the book of Psalms. We're going to the gospel accounts. We're getting words from Jesus. We're getting, I mean, yeah. again, we're going all over Scripture to build this. Yeah. It's not one isolated text.
1: Which is what systematic requires yeah. you to do. Um, now, my last question related to this, does this matter? Does it matter if you hold trichotomy, dichotomy? In other words, when I say, uh, LB, you, you are a, a dichotomist, I can't fellowship with you over this because I hold the trichotomy.
0: Is that is it that serious? Can we break fellowship over That's what this? That's why I'm asking you. No, I don't think that there's a reason to break fellowship over this particular issue. Right. Um mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful to discuss and you could build your case and you could build your argument, but never to the point where you're now breaking fellowship with other people whom Christ died for, yeah, right? Right. Um uh, I mean what would you do like okay, like, like, like pastorally, like you want to be a senior pastor, yeah. obviously. So what um I mean, what what if there were some differences in your church? Maybe even uh, with elders or deacons. So, I mean, how would you handle that, or what 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 should we do? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I I think exactly for the church, right? Like, right. What, what
0: do we do for the local church?
1: Right. I think exactly what you said there. Like, I'm not willing to break fellowship over this issue because I do I do understand that there is um. There's not there's not this explicit like absolutely you have to hold to this in order for the gospel to be in place right like I I would disagree with somebody who holds a trichotomy I know I know a few and I would say hey you and I see this differently that's okay church history is on my side I think the biblical weight is uh much more strongly and firmly in, in, in place on my side um but it's not something that I would say hey the church needs to We need to draw a line in the sand, and we're going to divide over this issue. So essentially, I think my point in bringing that up is just to say, um, as we work through and navigate this, we need to be able to categorize what are non-negotiables, what are things that we can be charitable about, and what are things we just don't even need to have the conversation about. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, I like what you said there. And just to echo that, practically speaking, um, again, building a systematic theology, yes, we want that to be intellectual. We want that to be fruitful for the mind. But... We, we want to take these truths and we want to ask the Holy Spirit to help us um, exercise fruit of the Spirit in, mm-hmm. in some of these disagreements, right? Um, we want to be able to live out these doctrines and these truths, even if there are disagreements in certain aspects of mm-hmm. theology like this, um, but we want to show grace and compassion and
1: kindness, uh, yeah. uh, e- e- even in that, right? Yeah. that's good. Um, um, one other comment, I said, uh, one other comment just to, to just wrap going. up this, this is section. Good. This is good. Every act of man, I think we kind of mentioned this a little bit at the beginning, but every act of man in in Scripture is seen as the act of the whole man or the whole woman. So, in other words, it's not, it doesn't, the Scripture doesn't say that the soul of Ananias lied, <laughs> right? Like, Ananias lied, the yeah. man lied. Um, the soul is certainly responsible for that the soul of the seat of the soul is the one that, that uh, is the part of humanity but it's it's not these um, different components of of the body that are or of the person that are conflicting with one another right it's it's um, it's not the body that dies. Like it doesn't say that the thief, the thief's body passed away. It just says the thief on the cross died. He breathed his last. Right. Right. Now the body is the one is the thing that dies. Sure. But
0: yeah, to add to that, yeah. Ezekiel chapter eighteen verse twenty says, "The soul that sins shall die." Well, I mean, is that just somehow leaving out the right. physicality of this? Right. Well, no, it's just like you're talking exactly. about it. It's it's all taken as a complete whole, right? right.
1: And I think the point in bringing that up is to say we don't need to overanalyze and say, is that the spirit or the soul or the – like it's – this is what man is composed of. We are trying to understand humanity and given this broad general overview, but we don't need to try to divide all of these things um, to say – Is this my soul that's doing this, or is this my body that's doing this, or what does that affect? Right?
0: Because the scripture just doesn't address exactly tackling something like that, right? right? Is that what Paul says in Romans chapter 7? Like, man, you gotta find out which one of you is doing this here, exactly.
1: That's and that's my point. And, um, you know, the all of the man, both body and soul will ultimately be redeemed in Christ. There will be uh, the resurrection of the body as well. The soul is going to be imperishable. The body imperishable. Mm. Like, it's together. And that's, I think that's important for us to understand because that's part of what makes humanity, humanity. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's real good. Okay, wrapping up. um, We've run through a, a lot of different conversations and questions here. So, let me ask this final question for us to, to think about. What are, what are some of these some of the implications of the doctrine of man? Like we've, we've talked about um, the origin of man. We talked about the fact that um, God created Adam directly. He mm-hmm. created Eve directly. They were literal human beings. Uh, they were the head of the human race and we have talked about the fact that they are that human composition is body and soul, spirit, right material immaterial. What are some implications of all this stuff? Yeah, Practical.
0: Th- yeah, I mean, I think first off, I would say that Jesus didn't have any descendants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can't can't yeah, emphasize that of those. Yeah, just so, just so we're clear on that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, at least as we begin anthropology here um, and we wrap up our, our first episode, I mean, my takeaway for this is I, I absolutely want a clear view of God, but I also want a clear view of man because I want a clear view of self. Right. I want to be able to place myself into reality so I can understand who created me. Mm. I can understand my own sin and then I can understand the necessity of a God man, Jesus Christ, to save me from my sins. You know, I mean, the illustration is a common one. Uh, We'll use it multiple times, I'm sure, throughout the podcast. But, you know, when you go to the doctor, you've got to diagnose the situation correctly to get the right remedy, right, to get the right. And mm-hmm. Medication. Well, the same would be true of the gospel and salvation. I've got to diagnose myself correctly. And that's I think good. that the doctrine of man, anthropology, and then when we get into harmardiology next, I, I'm able to diagnose self right. Yeah, that's good. Biblically.
1: That's good. Man, when I think about this, we talk about the, the doctrine of man, two connected thoughts come to mind. First, humans, humanity has been created by God. And, and because of that because of the direct creation by God we have a high status we have a a purpose there's an intentionality about that creation that's number one but on the flip side of that coin is humanity has been created by God so we're not the highest object in the universe right so we have value but we don't have infinite value we have um, purpose but we don't have um we don't have sovereign purpose right like we are God made us, and we are the crown jewel of creation, but God is still God. Right. We're not. We're, we're, we're part
0: of the story. Yes. Right?
1: Yes. But we are not the main character. The story's not about us. The story's about God. The story's about Christ. The story's about uh, the Spirit and His work. Like It's not about us. We are just—we're additional characters, yeah. right? And, and so I think it's important to remember that and to think about that and to—, to have that proper perspective and understanding of who we are. And and I loved the way you said that, that I want to be able to diagnose myself. I want to be able to understand myself because if I've got a proper view of myself um, and I have a proper view of God, that's going to ultimately give me the proper view of the cross. Yeah. And I need that. I need that understanding to know where I fit in the story so that I can most appropriately worship and respond to who God is.
0: Yeah, if we, if we understand the text of Scripture, we understand God's diagnosis, God's understanding of yep. humanity, right? That's what the Bible's revealing to us.
1: That's right. All right, Any anything else we need to add to wrap this thing up? I mean, we, uh, man, we do up. know that Jesus has no descendants. Yeah, yeah. But is there anything man. you want to add to that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> to his descendant line? <laughs> no, man, i uh, dude, I, I'm really fired up for this series. Yeah, uh, it, it's so necessary because I think it's, man, I, I think it's glossed over it and is. so misrepresented in so many uh, quote unquote Christian circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I'm, man, I just hope we can bring clarity to it and that yeah. can be helpful.
1: No, I think so. I would agree, and I'm looking forward to the discussions upcoming on the image of God and then the status and, and uh, state of man pre fall, post fall. And then, as you mentioned, Homardiology, the effects of sin, we've got to have this in place um, because I'm in a hurry to get to Jesus. I want to get to the cross, yeah. I want to get to the salvation, but I got to know, I got to have this in place first. So, um, I, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. If you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and to our YouTube channel. Make sure you like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at r underscore informants. And as always, you can find access to all of our episodes and links to our social media platforms on our website. And that's www.themajestysmen.com slash reformedinformants.
0: If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.